Welcome to Mexico Matters, the CSIS podcast about how events occurring in Mexico can impact and more importantly, matter in the United States. I am Mariana Campero, non-resident senior associate of the Americas program at CSIS and the former CEO of the Mexican Council on Foreign Relations, COMEXI. Mexico's president has been a fervent opponent of the 2013 energy reforms. He's now pushing for a counter-reform and wants to restore the dominance of the state in the sector. To discuss how this reversal will affect North America's competitiveness, the transition towards a more cleaner energy, and very specific U.S. interests, I welcome Dr. Lourdes Melgar, a non-resident fellow at the Baker Institute and a former Deputy Secretary of Energy, and Ben Cahill, an energy expert here at CSIS. A new electricity reform was just approved by the Mexican Senate, which in fact cancels part of the previous energy overhaul. It also violates competition and market access by artificially benefiting the national utility company CFE at the expense of private generators who actually offer cleaner and lower cost energy. The bill also violates the Mexican Constitution and it breaches various international treaties signed by Mexico, including the USMCA. Lourdes, you were involved in the original design of the 2013 energy reforms. Can you please tell us what was their main objective? Yes, Mariana. Well, first I would say that the objective of the 2013 energy reform was to ensure that Mexico could have energy security and that at the same time we could comply with our domestic commitments regarding climate change. So we were really designing a model that would allow us to accelerate the energy transition at the same time that we open up opportunities for bringing in private investment because we needed not only the financing of some specific projects, but we also needed the know-how and technology. What we have seen under the AMLO administration is a, is a backlash where we are going back in terms of having two strong monopolies that would be working in the oil and gas sector, Pemex in this case, and in the electricity sector, CFE, and where there is an attempt to block the participation of private actors. Lourdes, what are Mexico's current and future energy needs? Well, Mexico, as you know, has 126 million inhabitants. We're growing. We have a strong industrial base and we need cheap and reliable energy to grow. Now, the issue is that we were developing a model based on market dynamics, where we were created an electricity market, a natural gas market, and a products market, in addition to allowing not only Pemex to do exploration and production, but also to grant contracts for other participants to increase Mexico's uh, production in both natural gas and in oil. What is the main problem with this vision? Now, the problem is that because of this change in policy that we're seeing in Mexico, we are basically in the oil and gas sector seeing a sharp decline in terms of gas production. So currently we are heavily dependent on the United States, most specifically of Texas in terms of the imports of uh, dry natural gas for industry and for electricity generation. In addition to that, Pemex has not been able to fulfill 
the promise to reach a goal of first 2.5 million barrels a day went down to 2.4, went down to 2.1, and today they are producing in the order of 1.6 million barrels a day. We are short in terms of produce. We import mostly from the U.S. What is your main concern about the new electricity bill and how will it affect U.S. interests? Well, I think there are different angles to the electricity bill that need to be taken into account. The first thing is that it does away with the electricity market in the sense that it establishes in law the way that energy should be dispatched, giving a priority first to big hydros, then to all the CFE plants, which are mostly fossil fuel plants. And in the end, it leaves for the very last renewables, specifically wind and solar, and in the end, private sector combined cycles. This means that you're really changing the rules of the game for significant investments that were made in Mexico, and you're threatening the viability of um, these uh, companies that have been established in Mexico. Why is this a, a matter of importance? First, because we are changing the rules of the game in terms of the role of regulators. We are also in breach of provisions in the uh, USMCA regarding state-owned enterprises, and we are affecting current investments. More than the legal part of it, which I think is important and, you know, there will be arbitrage and all of that, most likely, I think it's important to note that as the world is moving to generate uh, cheaper and cleaner energy, Mexico is going towards more expensive and more polluting, not just in terms of CO2 emissions, but also particles, uh, electricity. And this will have an impact in terms of Mexico's ability to attract investments in Mexico, generate employment, develop manufacturing, take advantage of the geopolitical changes that we're seeing in the world. And this, of course, can be an issue for the United States as they are seeing the development of clean uh, North America that is aiming at uh, net zero by 2050, that it's aiming at having clean energy electricity by 2035. And Mexico is basically going on the other direction. So there is a risk that if we miss the opportunities to invest and create good jobs in Mexico, that migration to the U.S. could increase and that, you know, a Mexico that is not being part of North America prosperity could be a challenge for its North American partners. Ben, the crisis in Texas highlighted Mexico's dependency on the U.S. for energy. As you know, more than 90% of our natural gas used to produce electricity comes from the U.S., mainly from Texas. Similarly, the U.S. also meets almost 75% of Mexico's gasoline needs. U.S. interests, both private and public, are clearly being impacted by these policies. Do you think the U.S. has any leverage? Well, I think what the energy crisis in Texas showed us is, again, that the two countries are really linked. And that interdependence has a lot of benefits for both sides, I would argue. But there are some risks, too. Um, and as you said, the, the cross-border trade in natural gas and fuel products is, is huge, and it's only grown in the past decade. If we think first about natural gas, U.S. natural gas exports to Mexico have really been a big win for both countries. If you think of it from the U.S. perspective, gas exports to Mexico have been a really important outlet for a lot of gas that's produced on the Permian Basin in West Texas. A lot of that is non-associated gas that's produced alongside oil, so exports to Mexico are really critical for those producers. 
And again, that's risen by a huge amount in the last decade. And I think the reality is that Mexico doesn't really have great alternatives to natural gas imports from the United States. The U.S. has a lot of gas nearby. It's abundant and it's cheap. Mexico has a lot of shale gas assets, uh, potentially, but I don't really think there's a, a realistic possibility that they'll be developed anytime soon. Pemex really lacks the, the expertise to develop shale gas uh, resources, and, and foreign companies, frankly, just don't really have incentives to do it. And I think it's a similar story for refined products. If you look at the value of U.S. fuel exports to Mexico, it's basically quadrupled in the last 10 years. It was about $30 billion in trade in 2019. And again, I would argue that this is a win-win. And the trade goes both ways. So Mexico exports a lot of crude to the United States, including heavy sour crude that's very well suited for, for U.S. Gulf Coast refineries. And at the same time, it's cheaper for Mexico to import some of the fuel products that it needs instead of making everything at home. And, you know, this is true for a lot of countries around the world. I think the basic idea is that energy autarky doesn't really work. Cross-border trade in fuel and products is beneficial to both sides. So obviously, you know, from the U.S. perspective, there's not really um, all that much leverage, I would argue, over AMLO's energy policy or his particular vision for the energy sector. The key interest in the United States is really going to be about enforcing contracts and, and the letter and the spirit of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, the USMCA. So the U.S. is probably going to weigh in uh, where it feels it needs to protect the interests of investors and ensure the fair treatment of American companies. And it will probably argue that energy trade is a good thing for both sides. Ben, as you know, Governor Abbott's move to cancel experts gave AMLO the perfect excuse to keep pushing, at least in his rhetoric, towards energy independence and energy sovereignty. Can you please help us put this in context? Yeah, I mean, if... If we look at the overall energy trade between the United States and Mexico, the, the two systems are really very integrated in terms of electricity, in terms of you know, crude flows um, from one country to the other, petroleum products and natural gas. Uh, just to put some numbers on the energy trade, total energy trade in 2019 was about $47 billion. And that included about $34 billion in U.S. exports. And, you know, these are two countries that are highly linked economically. I mean, think of the, the auto sector, the manufacturing sector, the extensive supply chains that cross the border are for lots of industries. And energy trade is, you know, part of this picture of trade and, and interdependence. So, you know, energy is, it's a pretty minor share of overall trade. It's something like 13% of all U.S. exports to Mexico and about 4% of, of Mexican exports to the U.S. But those are large numbers. I mean, it is really is critical. Mexico is the second largest source of, of crude imports for the United States after Canada. It's about 600,000 barrels a day, typically, before COVID-19. And again, I mentioned that the fuel products trade is, is really big as well. So President Lopez Obrador obviously has a, a particular vision for the sector that's centered on really boosting the role of, of Pemex and, and CFE. He's quite suspicious about the, the role and the, the motivations of private companies, private investors. And what happened in Texas was, as you said, a good excuse to, to point out the, the risks of relying on, on foreign imports. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think, you know, Mexico has certain energy needs and it needs to meet those needs to do it in the most cost effective way. A lot of the time, that, that means importing certain goods from the United States. Pemex was once the pride and joy of the country, but it is now the world's most indebted energy company and a net drain to government coffers. AMLO has pledged to revive it and wants to bring back the whole industry under government control. Lourdes, what is the rationale behind this? 
I think we need to understand where President López Obrador is coming from. He's really digging into Mexican history. He's going back to 1938 when Mexico's oil industry was nationalized. And for many, many decades, basically oil and particularly Pemex was akin to national sovereignty. So he's taking this very nationalistic, resource-based view of sovereignty to define not only his energy policy, but I would say his whole development policy. Uh, President López Obrador is convinced that oil production, Pemex, will be the motor of growth and well-being for, for all Mexicans. Putting ideology aside, what is the reality? First, The era of easy oil in Mexico is long over. Despite the fact of increased investments for over a decade, Pemex production kept on falling. And this has to do with the fact that Pemex has to go all to further away in the Gulf of Mexico looking for resources and to more challenging geologies to produce the oil and gas that Mexico needs for satisfying its development needs. In addition to that, Mexico's oil is, a, is heavy oil, still mostly heavy oil. And this means that the production of oil that we have is not suited for our refineries. This is why for a long time we have exported our oil production to the U.S. to be refined in the U.S. where they have the right type of refineries to process heavy crude oil. And this is very important because Pemex currently is refining its oil in Mexico. And for each barrel that Pemex refines, 30% of what it produces is fuel oil with a heavy percentage of sulfur. Nowadays, this fuel oil with sulfur has no market, no international market. It used to be used as bunker, you know, for burning in bunker transportation. But nowadays, this has been banned by the World Maritime Organization. So, What this means is that there's no market for a product and there's no storage for this product. And so the president has thought a great solution, which is basically go back to what was done in the 1930s, 40s and 50s, which is to have CFE burn this fuel oil, which is heavily polluting the cities and the regions around Mexico, in Mexico, and that is producing also acid rain. So... In the president's view, this is an insignificant problem if we take into account the idea of being autarkic. And also this goes hand in hand with his idea of limiting the exports of Mexico or oil exports of Mexico. We are seeing production decline, but we're also seeing investment declines. How do you foresee the future, Lourdes? Are we being condemned to live with power outages? Well, during this administration, we have already seen several electricity outages, and we have also seen already a crisis of a critical alert of natural gas. As Ben mentioned, we heavily import from Texas natural gas, but at the same time, it should be noted that Mexico has not developed the storage needed to have a strategic reserves of natural gas, and it has not invested in the shale resources that we have or even the conventional gas resources that we have. Now, I believe that, you know, there's going to be a point where reality is going to 
force the government to rethink its strategy. And whether it is under this administration or the next one will be an, a matter of timing and how bad things get. But what am I saying this? Because we are seeing these shortages. There's no investment, for instance, in transmission lines or in distribution lines. If we had had more transmission lines, we would have been able to do much better in terms of the electricity shortage that we have because of the storm in Texas. But we, but we don't. And so we're going to be seeing this, which is going to have an impact not only in society in general, but also in the competitiveness of our industrial base. Lourdes, let me just follow up on that. According to the Mexican Business Council, if AMLO keeps his promise of not raising electricity prices, the Secretary of Hacienda will have to double the annual subsidies it already provides for electricity. How do you anticipate prices and supply behaving in the future? This is a great question, Mariana, because when we talked about electricity subsidies in Mexico, we have to keep in mind that these subsidies refer solely to low consumption residential rates. Okay. So the impact of the law that is going to be approved, you know, that's going to have an impact in terms of prices because we're going to be dispatching first the most expensive electricity and later the, the least expensive, it's going to have an impact on industry. We can expect that at least there's going to be an increase in 15% of the cost of electricity for industries on average. There's going to be a, an increase in commercial rates as well. So this is going to impact, first of all, companies, the competitiveness of companies, but it's also going to hurt the consumer because eventually if the government is not putting the money forefront, then it's going to be the consumer who's going to see an increase in terms of products that we buy. Ben, you know the U.S. energy sector very, very well. What are their main concerns at the moment? Well, I think what's happened since 2018 is kind of the worst case scenario for foreign investors. If we start with the oil and gas sector and just take a step back, the constitutional reforms happened starting in 2013, 2014. There was a huge amount of optimism and excitement uh, on the part of foreign companies in the oil and gas sector. Mexico was offering a huge amount of under-export acreage that was open to private investment for the first time in decades. It had regular bid rounds, you know, very transparent bidding terms. The contract terms were pretty favorable. And there was really something for everyone. You know, Mexico offered under-export Deep water acreage, areas that Pemex couldn't develop on its own, it offered shallow water. And the result was that a lot of foreign companies showed up in the initial licensing rounds, and there was just a lot of excitement about it. There were some initial discoveries, too, that were really encouraging. What's happened since 2018 is that really all that's come crashing down. Lopez Obrador has ended bid rounds. He's halted farming opportunities to partner with, with Pemex. And it, the overall tone of you know, hostility to private investment overt support for Pemex has shown up in all kinds of ways. So companies have great difficulty getting new permits. There's been a lot of brain drain at the regulatory agencies, including some of the new institutions created in the oil reform. They're really quite demoralized. And really, I think overall, the sense is that the, the oil opening was halted before it could bear fruit. You know, when you have an opening on this scale, there's great potential to turn around the production picture and eventually see new discoveries developed and, and produced. But that takes time. It doesn't happen in two to three years. From the time that you acquire a lease to the time you can produce is often five to seven years or even longer for offshore. So, you know, the companies right now are quite concerned about contract sanctity. Again, I think that the, the overt preference for Pemex is harming them. The inability to access permits for valid leases that they have is harming them. 
And that's that's in the oil and gas sector. In the electricity sector, I think it's a similar similar kind of picture. Many of the rules have, have changed in the last year. The CFE is obviously being favored over private players, even when its own prices are, are far higher. And what's happening now is that a lot of companies in the electricity sector who have valid contracts that were approved by the Mexican government, you know, in an open bidding process, are unable to access the grid. Wind and solar companies that have, again, valid permits can't launch their projects. They can't service their debts. So what is likely to come out of this is a series of legal cases and arbitration. And I don't know how that's going to play out. I'm not a lawyer, but I do think that the, the legal case is probably quite strong for the companies, again, because they have contracts that were signed by the previous government. So investment has dried up. A lot of these companies are kind of holding onto permits and, and waiting for better days ahead. But the reality is this is probably going to be several years of really diminished activity and investment, uh, both in the power sector and in oil and gas. Was this the reason why Tesla chose not to open its new plant in Mexico and chose Texas instead? <laughs> Well, I, I can't claim I have any inside track on, on Tesla or Elon Musk's thinking about these things. I tend to think that Tesla pursues tax incentives wherever they can find them. I know that several states in Mexico made a pitch to Tesla in order to build one of their big factories in the country. I think Jalisco State and Guanajuato as well. I know one issue that came up was that you know, these are plants that require a lot of power, something like 400 megawatts. Um, so consistent power supply is an issue. Whenever you have blackouts, that is worrying to foreign investors. The blackouts that happened late last year uh, may have been a bit of a disincentive. Ben, AMLO's renewable energy policies, or lack thereof, stand in stark contrast to those of the Biden administration. Are we heading towards a new North American energy agenda in which Mexico is completely left out? You know, in terms of the North American agenda, Canada and the U.S. are, are starting to talk about collaboration on shared energy goals whether that's you know electric vehicles, building more batteries here, how to join the electricity systems of the two countries better to promote clean energy. And you know Mexico's kind of moving in a different direction. It's being left out of the conversation. So I'm sure the Biden administration would be keen to pick up this conversation with Mexico. But I think it's clear for the reasons that Lourdes has already outlined that President Lopez Obrador has quite a different vision of, of how to make Mexico more competitive and more uh, independent. And that's really rooted in you know, a view that fossil fuels are the most important. So there's definitely a divergence happening. And you know, to be brutally honest, I think that the prospects for alignment between the Biden administration and Lopez Obrador administration on these issues is, is not great. Lourdes, do you agree? Well, the first thing is that we need to recognize that Mexico will not be complying with its commitments under the Paris Agreement, not even the most basic ones of the national determined contributions. And we're not going to be complying not only with the Paris Agreement, but with our own climate change law and with our energy transition law, which stated that by 2024, we would be producing 35% of our electricity from clean energy sources. So this is this is really bad news. And I think part of the issue is that the uh, Lopez Obrador administration is not understanding to what degree this will be a lost opportunity for Mexico in several regards. The first one is we're moving in the wrong direction as to where all the other countries in the world are moving. And this is going to put us in a situation where we will not have access to find international financing for projects. It may be not today or tomorrow, but maybe five, ten years down the road, we will be subject to getting barriers from not producing our products from clean sources, 
we're going to be missing the opportunity to attract investment into Mexico because we're not supplying cheap electricity with uh, produced with clean sources. And this is going to affect basically Mexican population because we're going to miss out on the possibility of being part of a very dynamic supply chain, particularly in North America, and getting very good job opportunities for the men and women of Mexico. So I think this is the first thing. The second thing I would like to mention is Mexico is highly vulnerable to climate change. And we're seeing how this situation is increasing every year in terms of the number of strong hurricanes, in terms of the fires that we get, and even in terms of the changing temperatures from severe winters to very hot summers. We are not getting ready for that. We are not participating to that. And it's a nonsense because Mexico has the way to diversify its energy mix very rapidly. We have the possibility to generate with wind, solar, geothermal, with ocean energy, um, mini hydro, in addition to, of course, oil and gas. And we're not taking advantage of that. And finally, Mexico is missing out on the opportunity of moving fast forward with the fourth industrial revolution, the electrification of things, the decentralization, the flexibility that the smart grids and distributed generation provide in a way of benefiting the livelihood of Mexicans, particularly the most poor ones. I think it is fair to say that Mexico will not be fulfilling its environmental commitments. Lourdes, can you tell us how could this affect the Biden administration's agenda, not only regarding energy, but also vis-a-vis -vis the region? I would divide the answer in two parts. First of all, we need to recall that Vice President Harris When she was senator, she did not vote to ratify TMCA because she had severe concerns regarding its strength in, in terms of environmental issues. And I think what this is showing is that she was absolutely right because Mexico is departing from complying with the Paris Agreement, something that we were very active at, making sure that the world committed towards uh, reducing emissions, but also in terms of environmental impact and the way this can affect also the border states is something that is out there. But the other issue is something that President Biden mentioned recently, which is that he is interested in what happens in Mexico, making sure that things go well in Mexico because of what it means for the rest of Latin America. And I think the U.S. has a big national interest in making sure that the situation in Central America improves. And one of the approaches that they have taken uh, since the Obama administration and now again with President Biden is to make sure that there are ways to generate an industrial base in Central America, that there is energy in Central America. And because of geography, Mexico is central to defining these solutions. So the policy that Mexico is taking of basically turning its back to other countries and looking inward and trying to make sure that there is no kind of participation from companies from other parts of the world in the Mexican energy sector is also setting barriers to the development of, you know, energy supplies towards uh, Central America. And I think this is an issue that we need to keep in mind. Ben, why do you think it should matter to the United States if Mexico stays behind and turns its back towards the new technological revolution? It's a great question, Mariana. I think that the, the reality is that all of the North American countries are very linked and interdependent in terms of trade and certainly in terms of energy trade. And I think that the positive part of the story is that 
you know, the, the energy relationships and the overall trade, they're so deep that they're going to outlast one administration or another. These countries are neighbors. We, we can't avoid each other, even if we want to sometimes. But, you know, there's an enormous opportunity for the countries to work together too to try to win these industries of the future. We know that a huge amount of political focus, investment capital is flowing to clean energy. Those are the industries of the future. So from a competitiveness perspective, there's reasons for all of these countries to pursue these industries and to collaborate. I mentioned some of the strategic imperative here, which is you know, to reduce dependence on China. You know, but from an economic competitiveness standpoint, these are the industries where you want to be leading. And so for the North American economies to work together and take advantage of these integrated supply chains that we have, it just makes sense. It's a win-win situation. You know, if we think about Biden's overall trade policies and energy trade, I think what he's trying to do is restore trade relations to business as usual and the kind of disruptions and, and threats to trade that we saw under the Trump administration. And that really starts in North America. It starts with restoring good trade relations with, with key allies in, in, in Canada and Mexico. And as the Biden administration moves forward with these you know, energy goals that we've talked about, they do want to work together with uh, other North American countries, Mexico and Canada, like on these issues. So naturally, there are going to be some sticking points. Some of the bilateral trade disputes around energy are going to crop up. I think Biden will probably be tougher on the Lopez Obrador government than, than Trump was. Uh, there is a big pushback from state legislators in terms of you know Mexico's energy policies and disruptions to investment. And I think that those issues will probably come up in bilateral meetings. But again, I think the, the United States and Canada are moving in one direction to see a lot of opportunities for collaboration. And they'll probably look to Mexico to invite them to, to join on this journey and to work with them to accomplish some of these goals. The rating agencies have already expressed their concerns about the impact that the new electricity bill will have. How do you see the overall impact of AMLO's policies on Mexico's growth and on the government finances? Well, I, I see several issues. The first one is that we've already seen, and as you mentioned, Mariana, Pemex is the most indebted oil company, and we cannot see how Pemex is going to get out of the situation it is in right now with the strategy that the government is following. Now, the problem is that CFE is beginning to look that it's going to go in the same direction. And why do I mean that? Because the whole electricity policy is being designed in terms of CFE having a fuels policy that is based on helping out Pemex and burning fuel oil. That is giving less flexibility to CFE to take advantage, for instance, of the cheap gas that it can import from the U.S. And we need to keep in mind that most of the contracts that we have right now with uh, Texas have been signed by CFE on very com competitive terms. So that's that's one of the issues. The finances of, of CFE are beginning to be affected by this type of policies, in addition to some of the policies that the administration has been implementing in terms of revising the contracts, the union, co the union contracts, which basically has gone back on agreements that they had in the past to reduce future pensions. So there are issues, structural issues within CFE that are also beginning to show signs that CFE is going to be in the red. So when you have two state-owned companies going in the red and then you're investing a lot of money into a refinery that is in the coast and that is you know, when the world is moving towards the electric car and you're one of the main producers of automobiles for exports, it doesn't look like a very positive 
outlook in terms of where we're going to be five, 10 years from now. And on that somber note of having to see your roommate embracing nationalist energy policies that will likely undermine its future potential, as well as the prospects of a cleaner neighborhood, that we have come to an end of this episode. I am Mariana Campero. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 